Welcome to the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast. On this podcast, let's step aside from our busy lives to have fun, fascinating, life-giving conversation with inspiring authors, pastors, sports personalities, and other influencers, leaders, and followers. Sit back, grab some coffee, or head down the road, and let's get the good and gold from today's guest. Here's Jeff Pinkleton, Executive Director of the Gathering of the Miami Valley, where their mission is to connect men to men and men to God. Hello, friends. Great to have you with us again today on another edition of the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast, where we like to talk all things sports and comedy and books and leadership and the like. And uh, super excited today. I've been taping several episodes and a lot of them has much to do with fatherhood and uh, me being a father of four with three boys, 19, 17, 15 and 13 year old as a girl. I'm super excited to have a guy who's probably about as much of an authority on it as you get in Ken Canfield. Ken, welcome. Hey, good to be with you, Jeff. Looking forward to this broadcast. Very much so. So Ken, give us right out of the gate, tell us your three minute testimony of how you came to Christ, how you were drawn in to Jesus and, and what allowed you to say, yes, I need to bow to this savior king of mine yeah well it happened through a a book that was sent to my mother uh she uh grew up uh was in an orphanage met my dad married at 16 years old they had me just uh about 18 months later and so it was like two kids raising a kid well we were a a well-meaning american family you know hard work sweat and you know appreciate and god we trust on our bills but we weren't spiritually engaged and this is what happened when my mom was in her mid-30s so that make me a teenager she was watching billy graham on tv and when billy graham said you can come to know jesus right in your living room my mom got down on her knees and did it and then he said write me billy graham minneapolis minnesota she did and he sent her a living new testament A few years later, I was in the college scene doing drugs. It was part of the decadence of that decade. And my mom saw that I was just really messed up. She said, here, I want you to read this. Jeff, I'd never read the Bible before, not even a little bit. And so here I'm reading through the entire New Testament, and I started to get high. Now, The reason I knew it was high, because I knew what shooting up and snorting and doing all the stuff was, but it was the Holy Spirit. I didn't know that. And after reading through that, I was down in Houston. I got down on my hands and knees by myself, and I said, I want more of this. And that became what I'd say the track that I've been following ever since. So the more that I read and immerse myself, and you'll hear little bit more about that later in 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 our discussion about fathering about God's truth and God's word it just elevates me you mesh that with fellowship Holy Spirit and just you know all the things good that help you grow that's how I came to Christ wow where did you grow up and what was uh the lay of the land with your family oh I'm the oldest of four middle America good family from Kansas yeah we lived down the street from Dorothy and Toto and uh <laughs> no seriously in Wichita great place air capital 
Uh, my dad uh, worked in the aircraft industry. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. I have two younger brothers and a younger sister. So are you a Jayhawk, a Shocker, or a Wildcat? Who do you cheer for? All of them. Cheer for you got to be all of them. I have a PhD from Kansas State. I went to Wichita State for a bit. Uh, we have a split household. Two of my daughters went to K-State. One went to KU, so it's the you know rival war. Yeah. So Jayhawk basketball, Wildcat football, Shocker, when they can do great things, sure. always. They've had some nice NCAA tournament runs. I uh, So I lead this men's ministry called The Gathering here locally. And uh, yesterday in one of our small groups, we had a new guy who joined us who's, I think he said he was 21 or 22, and he's a K-State grad. So Yeah, yeah. There's, you know, it's the engineering, the agricultural, uh, so many good things out of K-State. And it's in Manhattan, Kansas, out in the middle of, yeah. you know, the Flint Hills. And then you have close to an urban area, the University of Kansas and Lawrence, close to Kansas City, and then Wichita down there. So a good triad. And, you, you know, you look at it to think that this year, University of Kansas became number one overall winner, edged out Kentucky, the big K yeah. in the middle of America. I love it. So sports are big in the heart of America. Yeah. We love to see people excel in whatever gift they've been given. 100%, 100%. So tell us, it's family is so important, family structure, fatherhood so important in your life, Ken. What was the dinner table like at your house when you're say 11, 12 years old? What was that like? Well, it was uh, very predictable, you know, kind of Ozzy and Harriet come home. My dad had a shift job. He was in a, a technical part of beach aircraft doing the avionics and so forth. He'd come home. You could, you know, set your clock by. He turns the corner at four o'clock and then we came in, grew up, you know, being the paper boy. As an oldest child, I gotta tell you, Jeff, oldest children are experimental versions. And so 16 out of the first 17 astronauts in the US were oldest children. I knew at the teenage years, my dad wanted to send me into outer space because yeah. as I said, it was like two kids raising a kid, but they did the best they could. I mean, hard work, sweat, uh, keep your word, follow through, but it lacked what I call the spiritual dynamic. Uh, you know, we do church, Easter, Christmas, and there were times that we'd go to a quasi gathering at a church, but it, it wasn't one that was uh, penetrating the heart with God's truth, with God's spirit, with the fellowship that I've come to know since I came to Christ uh, in my early 20s. Wow. So what would you say is the moment when your heart, because you've been obviously doing what you've been doing, and we're going to get into what exactly that is in a few minutes, but what is the moment? Was there one moment or a series of things that made you say, fatherhood is what my life is going to be about? It's not been built on 20 things. Your lane has strongly been fatherhood. So what was kind of the moment or the series of events that really allowed you to see that at whatever age? This is where you're landing. Well, being the oldest child, my dad and I had a conflictual relationship, particularly during the adolescent years. And I got out of the house as soon as I could and got as far away as I could. And it was my grandfather that really saw something, you know, good in me. And, and grandparents can can love in a way that parents can't because parents have to discipline, as I say, 
you know, parenting is like Old Testament. Grandparenting is like New Testament. <laughs> so there's a good day coming for you, Jeff, yes. where grace will just effusively flow out of your life. But get to the fathering thing. I knew that my dad had been an overcomer in his family. He was a great dad as best he could be. But when it was views different than his, he hammered me down like big time. And so he had the rule of law uh, in the house. And I was always outside of the lines. So I knew this fathering thing was important. I didn't know how important until I became a father. And it was in 1980 when our oldest child was born. After the drug deal, seriously, I was fresh out of drugs. I proposed to my wife and to which some of their family said, what? He used to be a drug dealer. He hasn't even been a, a Christian, you know, and she comes from heritage of Christian life. I, I don't know if that's a good idea. And some of her family didn't even come to the wedding because they, they thought, we can't really trust this. So I thought, oh, this is really special. Well, four years into our marriage, uh, our oldest a child, a daughter was born, and something powerful happened. I wasn't reading fathering stuff. I was just doing the Lamas and so forth. My wife uh, had trouble nursing. So I'm always a get up all sorts of times at night. I ended up feeding. Uh, we subsequently had four more kids. I was to get up in the middle of the night, bottle feed, you know, formula, all of that, because I am a super light sleeper. And that attachment uh, to the kids and uh, was was really deep because I had to shoulder up the fathering responsibilities. And it wasn't until I'd say the late 80s that I began to see there is a connection with kids who have a father who care for them, pray for them, love them, uh, discipline and guide them vis-a-vis -vis those that don't. And then the empirical evidence so clear. You look at the impact of fatherlessness and I can tick like what is uh, down 10 negative social sequelae that kids who don't have that wish they did. And so that's when I embarked on studying and lo and behold, I was at the University of British Columbia Regent College. And I studied on a guy who just passed away. His forte, J.I. Packer, was to look at the Puritan family. So I spent a year reading the manners and methods of how fathers interacted, like in 1644 in the colony of Massachusetts, before it was a state for the United States. Get this, Jeff. The heads of household were required to teach their children and family how to read. So that put education at the core. And I thought, oh my gosh, I gotta get involved. So the first few years, I taught my oldest daughter to read as they came along for first, I'd say four or five years, we home herded and schooled the family. And that was something that endowed them with a sense of confidence. You can say about the Canfield children, they're way confident many times than the abilities they have because you know that push. And so fathers, your intentionality pays off big dividends. So that's a long story. Sure. And I can get into the other, I got into the research and so forth as we go forward. Well, that's a, that's a big wealth of what you do. So give us like a two minute snapshot 
of what you've been up to? Because you've done a number of things. Your website's pretty robust. Like I said, I read some articles last night. So give us kind of the two-minute snapshot of what you've been doing with your time since that work till now. After getting a master's degree, I came to do PhD work at Kansas State University, started to download everything scientifically of what distinguishes healthy fathering and what do we have to face as the epidemic of fatherlessness just engulfs our culture. I began to get with others and say, we need to get dads together in groups talking about issues that are important not just the weather and sports, you know, all respect to that, but, and investments, but we need to talk about those relational issues and how dads can build up their children. So after doing a thorough literature review, I found out a couple other people started a nonprofit at fathers.com and established the National Center for Fathering and then begin to speak about this. Dads, you're important. Dads, if you do this, this, and this, this will distinguish you and your fathering. So I looked at the strengths literature and, and identified seven traits that defines effective fathers. And that was my first book. And then I subsequently wrote other books about healing the father wound. If you were to ask in a Gallup random sample today, this is what you'd find out. The majority of Americans have unresolved issues with their father and they're adults and they're raising kids. Well, you can't be the father you want to be, Jeff, until you're first a son. So the National Center for Fathering grew at our heyday. Uh, we had 25 full-time staff. Of course, COVID and other things pared that down. And we proposed being the go-to place to have both research resources, both practical and scientific, to help dads, you know, excel in their fathering role. So what have you done, you know, I think for any of us, so I do a men's ministry, the work is never done, no matter what time it is, when I go to bed, when I go home from work, you said you had 25 employees at one point, I'm guessing it's significantly less than that now. How do you meet such a great need and things have changed so much and the need's only going to get greater? How do you do that and feel okay about what your contribution as an organization and for you personally is able to be, Ken? Okay. Cash is king, Jesus is Lord. I say that because you need money to fund ministries and endeavors and objectives that perhaps haven't been laid out. So I raised money, got grants from several foundations, family people uh, assembled a board, and they were like-minded, uh, not my age, some older, some younger. And they said, you know, this fathering is critical. We've got to take this across the board to culture, not just the faith community, but other places where fathers are disadvantaged or disconnected. So nurturing staff and growing this, uh, we had uh, contracts with several states to move this forward, uh, albeit everyone on our staff really had a committed faith. And uh, I just knew that that was, that was key, but we weren't a religious organization. We're a scientific and educational nonprofit. So grew that. Personally, good question. Subsequently, I have five children from 1980 to 1990. So we were busy. We were blessed. My wife stayed at home. And then, you know, as I traveled, I took kids with me. And I tell you something really cool. You show up 
at the White House, which I was, uh, both administrations during the Clinton years. Talk about a story of fatherlessness that uh, that president had and how he sexualized the void because you got to fill that void if you're fatherless you got to fill it with something and you know we you know the rest of the story i was there at that time i was doing other stuff in in uh senate subcommittee hearings etc cetera, etc cetera, and speaking on promise keepers events you know during the summer so it was like crazy and my memory of, of being close with Coach McCartney, Randy Phillips, and they said, hey, we got to have you on this team. And I didn't formally join the team, but I showed up at every event, did deep research about the fathering status and behavior of those who attended the events. And, you know, the rah-rah is so electric and powerful, but to sustain that mm -hmm. is a different set of tools. And so that's when I built the personal fathering profile, the small group material, et cetera, et cetera. And you see the aftermath of a lot of that is a little over 800 pages that we have at fathers.com to help you optimize your father, fathering, whether you're an adopted dad, stepdad, natural dad, custodial, non-custodial dad, we're here for fathers. Yeah. Gosh, so much of that is so robust. So what, um, let me ask you this. So Patrick Morley, who I've had on here before and got to know somewhat well, who does a lot of stuff for men, I'm sure you know the name, and I wouldn't doubt it if you and Patrick Morley have spent some time together. He talks about if you get the man right, then you get the family right. If you get the family right, then you get the church right. If you get the church right, you get the community right. How would you tweak that and make that statement relevant to fathers? Okay, I would say two things. First, Pat's a good friend. He's a great leader and so forth. Getting the father right uh, sets up a healthy sequence. But don't be naive, dads. You may be a freaking irresponsible. When I say that, you know, probably you may be the carrier of pain of your own father and you haven't been the father you want to be. Nevertheless, there is another father who supersedes all of our fathering. If we spiritualize, in other words, listen with open hearts to a heavenly father. We will be in many ways attuned father to the spiritual nurture and growth like no one else. And so getting that right, there is a sequence. But I know too many because I've lived in Watts in LA. I was part of World Impacts Initiative. It's uh, predominated by godly mothers and grandmothers. And no, the uh, the statistics aren't as good. The likelihood of those kids falling off the wagon or vulnerable to attacks and addictions and gangs and all the stuff that fatherless kids have to face is greater. Still, God uses single parent mothers, custodial grandparents and can do that. But if you're a dad and you're tuned into this, and you're listening to the heart of the father, he wants you to succeed, regardless of what is in your background, regardless of what uh, your dad may have not done or you have missed. And these overcomer fathers are just filled full of passion and desire to excel. And there is a pathway where you can optimize that get with another dad hello mothers get together why don't dads get together and be vulnerable and open and you got a kid that is in a treatment center or someone that 
that you're just concerned about your daughter, you can, you know, weigh in and have a huge impact by doing some simple things. I think it's interesting. I think as you talk, one of the things I'm thinking about that I think you're probably saying, and I definitely want to believe this and do believe this, I think that, you know, I don't know how you could truly be a successful father without following Jesus and really Holy Spirit filling you up, being in tune, discerning with where God is leading. And of course, a secular mindset, a secular secular view would say you can't because there are good dads and you never want to diminish what is good, but how can you really be a fruitful and successful dad without following Jesus and imparting to your kids what he's imparted to you? Hit on that for a second. Well, that's a really good point. It's sad, and we have good fathers and bad fathers, particularly in the Old Testament. The Puritans were great by highlighting the inconsistency of a king called David, who in 1 Kings failed to discipline his sons, Absalom, Adonijah, and look what happened chaos, the kingdom falls, and so forth. And then you have some bad dads that have incredible kids. You know, Josiah's father was a jerk, and yet he emerged because he had the counsel and support of others. But listen to this. There are some basics that span both mainstream and spiritual. And those basics, if you apply them, are important. Those that are spiritual have to be cautious not to spiritualize everything like look for a demon under every rock i know there are demons i know the (laughs) spiritual world is out there to undercut us and there are two fathers the father of truth the father of compassion and the father of lies and the father of lies even said to jesus if you are the son of god well hello he's challenging jesus identity well That's one of the big things right now, identity formation that you as a spiritual father can pray in and bless your sons and daughters in. And when they have a secure identity of who they are, they are the son or daughter of an earthly father, and they also have a heavenly one. That's like a double safety net as they go out and forge through life. But as you have said wisely, Jeff, there are some great dads that, you know, flip off, you know, the, the idea that a, a creator masterfully built the, the universe uh, to uh, have joy in giving his creation the, the blessing of having dominion over it. They just blow it off. We'll let him do that. You who are spiritual, you got a different drummer you're marching to. So march to that beat and there are going to be long-term generational blessings. As it says in uh, both Exodus and Deuteronomy, the sins of the fathers, and that's right. If your father was an alcoholic or had alcoholic behavior, the likelihood of you having alcoholic behavior or the same addictive pattern is significantly greater. That is absolutely true. But the blessing for those who follow the heavenly father goes out thousand generations come on that's over the top that's what we need to strive for amen 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 hey uh let's go a little light here for a few minutes and i like to do these things called the rapid five so these are five quick hitting kind of short answer type things that show a little light and funny side so ken what was your favorite childhood snack or cereal uh snickers bar on the way home from school grab two of them they were five cents jeff oh 10 cents i could have two 
Yeah, wow. I get two on the way home after basketball practice or this and that. And we walked. Uh, I lived about a mile, had to walk by the Dariette, got two of those, and it got me home in time for dinner. How many are you eating every now and then these days? What? How oh, often, my God. How often do you eat a Snickers? You know what they do? Oh, Jeff, they have them in ice cream bars now. That's... Have you had a Snickers ice cream bar? I oh, have. It's gosh. been around. Yeah. You can't just eat one. You got to eat at least two. Yeah. And it's like, oh, my goodness. We're not at an age and stage where it's going to start to show if we don't, you yeah. know, cut that down. No doubt. I I didn't know that they could actually improve it until they brought out peanut butter a number of years ago. I'm like, ooh, I like that one actually a little better. So, yeah, um, yeah. What is your favorite book you most like to gift to other people? My favorite book that I like to give out is uh, from uh, someone who really impacted me. After the drug culture, I ended up at a Quaker university, and it's exactly where I needed to be because they are so gentle and mellow and thoughtful. Richard Foster's mm. Celebration of Discipline is a grand slam. If you want to grow and cultivate your spiritual life, I've sent many yeah. copies to many friends. Yeah, that book's, that book's timeless classic for certainly for a reason. So let's jump into this one. This is probably more you these days with your grandfather hat on. But if, you're fa uh -huh. if your family is vacationing and you're going from A to B and you're going to have to stop at lunch somewhere in between, if it's like it is in my house, we think we're getting to point B in the middle and unfortunately a bathroom break or some traffic messed us up and we're going to have to stop about 10 minutes before we thought. I'm not stopping again. So I'm like, all right, here's what the exit sign says. Let's put these three places on there. McDonald's, Chick-fil-A, In-N-Out Burger. Where do the Canfields go? Chick-fil-A all the way. I tell you, uh, Chick-fil-A is just so tasty. How about those grilled nuggets? How about that Southwest salad? I'm telling you, they rock. We didn't have Chick-fil-A in the Midwest back then. So uh, we would stop, you know, wherever was convenient or we would because five kids uh, in 10 years, we had stuff and snacks in the car as we were traveling. But uh, we would stop and and we would use it as an experiment and adventure. Unfortunately, McDonald's and so forth was there. So that was back then. But now yeah. the grandkids know Chick-fil-A, granddad. That's where he wants to go. I think I think you uh, it's something you've practiced before. I'm not on the TikTok at all, but it sounds like you and your kids and grandkids can maybe do a little TikTok video about some cheer and chant. You started to have rock and rolling right there. Oh, we just have great fun, you know, talking and making, you know, jokes about it. The only thing I think of, uh, I forget the comedian, Chick-fil-A. It's Sunday. What are we going to do? Tim Hawkins. Oh, my goodness. Tim Hawkins. We recorded a podcast with someone earlier who has uh, toured it numerous times over the years with Tim Hawkins. So I've seen yeah. that bit more than a few times. So let's give you the option of either you and Michelle are home doing your thing on a Friday night, getting ready to watch the show, or you're by yourself. Michelle happens to be out of town. If you were to flip the channels and go through and you stumble across this movie, no matter how many times you've seen it, You've got to rewatch it wherever it is in the movie. What movie is that? Well, oh, you're messing me up because if I am home with Michelle in the evening, well, what do you think, buddy? It's got to be a Hallmark movie. Yep. And I'm just thinking, oh, please, Lord, get me to the commercial. Get me through this thing. But if it's me, I watch Man on Fire. Denzel Washington oh. kills it. 
Okay. I watch We Were Soldiers and We Were Young, yeah. Mel Gibson. I watch American Sniper. I want action. I want heroes, yeah. someone I can emulate. Well, let me pull you two together on this one. Here's one my wife and I just watched. I hope they pay me something because I'm promoting it a little, little, well, a lot lately. But um, the movie 13 Lives about the boys and the coach in Thailand. Oh, my gosh. Is that off the chart? Yeah. I cried when I watched that. Yeah. And it's a true story, it's a great, Jeff. It's a Incredible. Great movie. It's really good. Yeah. So yeah. last but not least, what's your favorite all-time trendy clothing item? that you most bought into hook, line, and sinker, that it was trendy and happening for a while, and you're like, I bought into that clothing item. Oh, it has to be shorts. You know, the long shorts and the short shorts. You know, it's summer, it's hot in middle America, so you want to dress down. Now, I used to be like this, and then they get a little longer and a little longer, and as age creeps in, longer is better. So I have shorts galore. Yeah. My wife and I are, well, maybe not her as much, but now that, like, my, my one son plays high school basketball, and he's a pretty good player, and the shorts are getting shorter like they used to be back in the 70s, and I'm kind of hoping they go back yeah. to late 90s Michigan Wolverine long shorts because I'm like, I don't need to see some of these boys that much of their thigh. Give me the, the longer shorts back. Let me ask you about this. So there's a movie, the movie industry deals a lot with father-son stuff. The movie that always jumps out to me is I Can Only Imagine. Dennis Quaid and right. his relationship with uh, what's actually Bart Millard and all that. You know, there's IMDb, I noticed, um, has a huge page just committed to father-son, father-kid type of movies. What do you think it is about that, that there's something clearly in storylines in life that we're obsessed with this father-son thing. And you talk a lot about one of the things we can do that's a problem is we can just totally disengage and be disinterested. And yet, you don't want to be the dad who's coming heavy and fast all the time, like maybe you're saying your dad did. Give us hope and speaking into the balance between being engaged and not doing nothing, but not be so, give your kids room and freedom. Yeah, okay, testosterone levels. Listen to this, guys. As you age, testosterone drops. You may say, I am going to supplement and take care of that. Well, that's good. But this is what happens when testosterone drops. As you age, you become more emotive. You become more in tune. Right now, Jeff, I watch grandfathers as I put pieces together to help that grandparenting diet grow and say, why are we still here? Not just to pray, but to support these grandkids. Grandfathers are more emotive. They get more emotional. So the value in watching something that is emotive is you tune in. The all-time great father-son thing, obviously, is Field of Dreams. I live just a little south of that right now, where it is in Iowa. Do you know, listen to this, Iowans, it's the number one tourist attraction in the state of Iowa. Well, you may say that's Iowa. That's true. But here it is, a father-son theme. And now what are they doing? They're having Major League Baseball, you know, not on the actual field, but one they constructed right next yep. to it, gather together. And so the emotive and connecting with the passion of fathering, it, that will set you apart. And to the extent that you can get in tune with your own pain, your own loss of a childhood, if there is any, or your own satisfaction and grow that, 
through the affirming blessing that you hear from another father. Mm. So if you're hearing from another father, hey, you're a screw up, Jeff, you just don't measure up. You know, that's not the father of truth. That's the father of lies. So this discernment and distinguishing those spirits is so key. And often movies will be a catalyst. Now, the best catalyst, of course, is God's truth, your heart on your face, just saying, Lord, I love you. Just use that affective language to talk to your father in heaven, because when you do, you'll start hearing it back on you, his son, who he's proud of, in whom he loves, in whom he is well pleased. Yeah. It's, you know, it's interesting. I think biblically, I think about in my world, deal with men on a regular basis, doing these father-son trips out to Montana, the prodigal son story is one of the most famous, most popular, most used stories in the Bible because it's timeless. We all can relate to it in some way, shape, form, or fashion or the other. And I just think when we look at what is going on in our world, we can accomplish so much if we really take care of that, see that fathers are healthy. And the fact that our culture and the entertainment industry, we all know over the last 30 years, has really diminished men, diminished dads, and made them a joke. And it's like, how did we think we would do something there and not bring damage to us as a people, to us as a country, to us trying to do what do what we're trying to do in the most basic unit of the family? It's like, how did we, how did we get there? You know what I mean? Yeah, well, it's the sarcasm of America. Mm. And dad, if your kids are making fun, you can join in depending on the age. And you know, I, I had some fun with my kids. Uh, you know, I say, hey, imitate dad as he comes home from work or as he talks. Uh, they did some things that were hilarious and just, you know, made me uh, crack up. Uh, but let me say this. The return of the prodigal son is so key. And I have a huge picture of the return of the prodigal son painted by Rembrandt. And this is the emotive part. The father was filled with compassion. And that's what propelled him. Patience, he waited, full of compassion, then he ran. Mm. So this compassion, again, is the catalyst. And as far as the east to the west, so are our sins from God the Father. He has compassion. Psalm 103, 13, and 14. Read that. Dwell on that. And, you know, it's so important that we, we look at Deuteronomy 129. Uh, Moses, you know, said as they get ready to go to the promised land, remember how the Lord your God carried you. He carried you all through the desert like a father carries a son. Hello. That's so picturesque as you think of, of God carrying you. And that footprints in the sand, oh, that poem, Ooh. it had to be, oh, where were you, Lord, when I needed you? I didn't see you. Oh, those were my footprints. I was carrying you. That's what we need to recognize as we, you know, undertake this task of being the best fathers we can be. Sure. Let's close with this. Give, us, give me like a 60-second answer to this. When you think about what gets you up early in the morning, what keeps you awake at night, when you look at your life still being on assignment, you're unfinished, what do you most get excited about in your relationship with Jesus? And what most gets you excited about thinking about finishing strong, investing in dads? Uh, one thing, get up every morning and I just got to go, hear something fresh from God's truth and word. I read until I get something fresh. That lodges in me the day. Then find a song, whether it's a church or a song that I've picked up and just sing it. And then I add lyrics. <laughs> 
that bring about the application to my life. And then I think of my children and grandchildren. You and I are going to be gone decades from now. What are we leaving behind? And to what extent have we invested in that? And then get around others who think like us and then see to the cries of a hungry world. And then listen closely, knowing that you have some truth or the ability or resource to help and propel them to the same heart that has attracted you magnetically. And that is the, the father heart of God. Amen. Amen. So, Ken, I know people can find you outside of here. Fathers.com, as I went there and could have spent a long time because there is a lot there. What uh, and, and obviously Amazon, they can go in there and type in Ken Canfield. Where else would people want to find you if they want to find out more about you? Well, you can find out about me through my wife. Uh, I just have to say this after 43 years, two months and five days, the mother of our five children passed away. And lo and behold, I had a long known by other family members, a relationship of encouraging a woman who had a word from the Lord, never married, that she was to focus on the father-daughter relationship. And so to that extent, uh, we cultivated a relationship, my word to her, after my wife passed, the grieving process and things moved forward, I called and said, Michelle, how would you like to make our professional relationship a personal one? And now we are married yep. and we've been married a few years and it has re-energized my mm. passion for women to be that extra insight and, and what I'd say force to strengthen you as a dad. Don't trust a book on fathering that doesn't have some chapter on the importance of marriage and listening to the yeah. child's mother. Hello, you're going to miss a bunch. And I don't care if she's jumped pasture, uh, the fence for another pasture, or there's been some, you know, horrific problem. Uh, still, the connection with uh, uh, speaking positively about the woman who in her womb carried that child will benefit you. So I am reinvigorated in that role of marriage, Jeff, and, and delightfully so. Hey, thanks for the, the blessings and fruit of investing in me in this and our listeners. And uh, I look forward to much, much more dialogue offline, Ken. Me too, Jeff. Take care, brother. Have a great day. Thank you for joining us on the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast. You can reach Jeff at gatheringmiamivalley.org or find us on Facebook at The Gathering of the Miami Valley. Join us again next week for another honest and rich conversation. The Rise FM Podcast Network.